0: Okay, here's the subject I want us to kind of sink into, and that is, um, what do you do when you feel like giving up? How do you keep going and how do you keep walking? Um, I I know from personal experience during these unprecedented, outrageous days, minutes, and moments in human history around the world that I have at least felt like uh, pulling the covers over my head and hoping um, that no one can see me ever again. Do you remember when you were a kid and you just put your hand over your eyes and you believed you were invisible? Wasn't that cool? I wish we could still believe that, like, you can't see me, so no one can. It's like, oh buddy, we see you, you know? But you ever just wanted to disappear, just be done, no more effort, no more work? what's the future hold, who knows anymore, I'm frustrated. Uh, Someone told me recently, they said, you know, I'm just trying to make new friends. And I was like, man, how's that going? They're like, terrible. And I was like, why? They're like, everyone is so opinionated. It's hard just to sit down and just eat with someone who just is like, what a beautiful day. It's 72 and sunny. You know? Now it's like global warming. You know, it's like, all right. Well, um, which I'm not saying I'm for or against, or anything. I have a green suit on, <clears throat> the art of distraction. Um, but I thought, isn't that it? It is kind of an interesting day, isn't it? Where so much opinion, so many polarizing perspectives, sometimes you want to go home and pull the covers over your head. How are you not going to do that? How are you going to keep going? Now, here's something cool to consider before we get started. If you're like, I'm actually having the best days of my life, Judas. So I don't know what you're up there talking about. I don't feel like giving up. I feel like going up. I feel like moving onward and upward and to bigger and better things. Well, that's awesome, first of all. Um, But here's what I can guarantee you. And this isn't gonna be the most positive guarantee I've ever given you, but that is uh, there's going to be days. It's gonna be days where you're like, nah, I'm out. I need need to time out from life, or maybe I just need to... Give up trying. I know many people right now feel like giving up on friendships and relationships. It's just too hard. Uh, two days ago, I heard of friends who've been friends for 35 years, and they finally just a couple of couples, they called it quits because they have differing views on the world, and now they can't even be friends anymore. What are we going to do in these difficult days? Are we just going to hope for the best? hope things just kind of improve? Are we going to be the circumstantial people who are just like, well, if my circumstances improve, then I won't give up. But what if your circumstances don't improve? How are you going to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving and keep going? Because here's what I know. The proof that you are still sucking oxygen on planet Earth is the evidence that all the evidence I need, that means God, this great, wonderful, amazing Heavenly Father, still has grand and great plans for your life. And whether or not you believe that, thank you for those roaring amens and my preliminary comments here. I just said God has great plans for you, and I think I got one amen right over here. Um, You know he does. I know it maybe sounds cliche, but you wouldn't believe the thoughts and purposes and intentions that God has for your life blow you away. In fact, it's probably too much for you to contain in one setting, but I believe there's so many great things ahead for you tonight. Do you know that? I'm actually the preacher that believes tomorrow will take care of itself, but tonight, tonight when we dismiss at like 1130, I just, yeah, all right, you say that because you know I'm joking, um, But but when we do dismiss, like, I just believe that Some really great things, a great conversation can unfold later tonight. You can make a connection, maybe make a new friend. I just believe that God has great plans for your evening and your night and even your sleeping tonight. I do. I really do. So how do we not quit on life? Um, I remember hearing my dad writing a couple of resignation letters, and I thought, dad, are you okay? And he's like, well, I just, sometimes I don't feel like doing this. And I have to admit to you, um, Chelsea will, and I've never told anyone this, uh, other than Chelsea, but I did write a resignation letter for church. I thought, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Um, I feel like being a public communicator and trying to help people is just a minefield. That's too much to endeavor. I'm going to say something that's going to offend people and hurt people. And if you ever become a pastor, you really care about hurting people and you try not to. Now, if you don't care about hurting people, just get a different job. Don't be the pastor person, okay? Like, but if you're going to pastor and care about people, well, you want to keep a soft heart and you want to be somebody who encourages people. But I can say from my experience, and I, I guess I'm just trying to let you know that if you feel like quitting, you're not a bad person. You're actually really normal. You're just really normal. So can we just normalize how we're all feeling a little bit here and just be like, look to the person next to you and say, yeah, yeah I felt like quitting too. You know? Hopefully it's not like, I felt like quitting you. you know? like, No, don't, don't say that. Um, what do you do? I had an hour and 15-minute drive last week on my way to uh, a meeting. I don't like driving. I'm not a big driver. Um, I, I definitely don't like driving by myself because I, I like to talk to someone. So I like talk to God, but <clears throat> so I'm kind of zoning out and I'm listening to Maverick City. And I think I'm like, I think I'm listening to the my favorite right now is build your church. And I always listen to it when I'm driving in here or wherever I'm going to like preach. I'm like, Build your church, build your church. And I'm like yelling it and screaming. And all of a sudden I look in the rearview mirror and I notice God only knows how long this Dodge truck has been riding my suburban that I'm driving. I don't own it, it was a rental. Like, dude, details we don't need. Okay, so driving this suburban, and all of a sudden, here comes this Dodge truck. Not here comes. He had been there for quite some time, based on how frustrated he was. So I kind of look in the rearview mirror and be honest, babe, I set it to cruise control, like seven miles over the speed limit, because I figured like that's a good space to be in. And I felt Chelsea would be happy with me. Um, marriage is awesome. It's super awesome too when your spouse goes like this when you're driving gone pretty fast. And I'm like, I was born in the fast lane. Like, what does that even mean, bro? Like, relax. But anyways, so I'm, I'm, I actually had the cognitive thought, like, Chelsea would be proud of me. I'm not going to speed. I'm going to, you know. So then I'm like, oh, man, I got to pull over, right? I, gotta, I get in the slow lane. So I'm, I turn on the blinker. I'm hoping he's not too mad. And I, I pull over um, into the, the other lane. And here he starts gaining. And as God is my witness which I don't know if that's an offensive thing to say, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. But as God, one time, uh, someone's like, bro, you say God a lot. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Anyways, so um, I grew up in the West Coast, so I didn't grow up in the South. So I say, oh my God, and people in the South are like, ah, the name of the Lord in vain. I'm like, oh, on the West Coast, we just call on the name of the Lord whenever. But anyways, so I pull over and I'm like, oh my God, I, this, guy's, this guy's mad. So now i got a decision to make, right? And and here's my decision. And you might think this is elementary, but it was a big deal to me at the time two to three days ago. I pull over and I go, should I look at him? Now I have about a, what do I got, like 30 seconds until, you know, the Dodge truck is, like, we're there, right? I mean, you know, we're all a little on edge these days, okay? So I'm like, oh, I don't know. know. You know, and I don't, big trucks, send a message to my soul too. You know what I mean? Like if it was like a chill, just like, I don't know, Mazda, Miata, I'd be like, ah, all right, buddy. You know, it's like a big, big Dodge truck. So I'm like, ah, he's probably a big guy or something. So he's coming by and I'm like, should I look over and be like, hey man, you <laughs> know, like now I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm like, I'm literally having a moment and I'm like, what should I do? Should I like, just look straight? And I'm like, bro, relax. I'm having like self-talk. So I, um, <laughs> this is a true story. I pretend, what am I, 12? I pretend I'm like pressing something on the screen. <laughs> it's a perfect stranger. Never saw the man or the woman, had to be a guy. But guys are the meanest on the road. No offense, gentlemen, but you are. And he's driving by and I'm like, and he flies by. And I look up, (laughs) jerk. (laughs) Then I get this idea, what if I just stayed in the slow lane? I never stay in the slow lane. I'm going to stay in the slow lane. I'm not going to get in the fast lane. I always get in the fast lane. But what if I just took my time? And I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking about practicing like patience and like rest. And like, so I've gotten by the really mean truck driver. And so now I'm like, I kind of like the slow lane. This is nice. So I'm just in the slow lane, and cars are going by. And at first I'm like, ah, I'm going like 72 now. It's a 70. And I'm driving, and I'm like, this is, this is kind of nice. Now I'm like behind semis. And I'm like, ah, this is weird to like not pass semis, but that's fine. Um, and they're going by and all of a sudden I can't identify, but I'm getting this feeling internally. And I'm like, kind of discouraged. And <laughs> You guys are like, Is Judah okay? (laughs) The answer is no, okay? So I'm driving alone, and I'm like, I feel like behind or something. I'm like, I feel weird. Like, what's, what's going on? And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. I feel like I'm losing the proverbial race, and it's only because cars are going by me, and that's very abnormal, apparently, for me. And I realize, like, oh, my word, the reason I don't go in the slow lane is because I want to feel like I'm winning in life. And I, I'm so I'm being actually so serious right now. As simple as this sounds, I so want to be winning in general, whatever that means. I think winning is like you have the respect of the person you married and your kids think you're cool and a couple of your friends who actually know you are like, bro, I trust you. Like that's kind of winning to me. You know, I don't mean like Instagram followers or income or anything like that or retirement. I think winning is winning with the people who know you the best, right? So I kind of always want to feel like I'm ahead. And recently I've noticed I have felt sometimes like I'm losing in areas of my life and I realized this is such a pervasive thought in my journey that I can't even let cars pass me on the highway or else I feel like I'm behind. And I thought, oh dear God, I need to give this to you. I need to trust you that I am going the pace. I am on the path that you have me on. Now, it's easy for me, if I can say, to go, I wonder how much this is true, and even in my social life, feeling like, well, I'm, I'm doing good. And then you start to get in the sinister part of this where you're like, are you, am I the only one that like, kind of secretly, privately, with no one's looking, hear that's of someone's like struggle and be like, well, if they trust the Lord more like me, they wouldn't struggle like that. And you're like, okay, Mr. Elite, where did you come from? And you're like, oh, my word. And all of the sudden, when things don't work out, like cars pass you on the highway, I feel discouraged. I feel behind. I feel like I'm losing. I don't feel like I'm fast enough. I don't feel like I'm smart enough. And then what settles in? I don't care anymore. And you become the I don't care person. Which, by the way, we all know about the I don't care person, right? You guys all know about the I don't care person? The person who says, I don't care, is the person who cares the most. You know that, right? I don't care what people think about me. The more you say that, we're pretty convinced otherwise. (laughs) Right, it's deflection, it's projection. I don't care, I don't care. And I realize like, I don't care, but I do care. I care so much that in traffic, I have emotional problems. I care so much about feeling like I'm winning and doing good and being a productive, contributing citizen that if a few cars pass me on I 90, I get emotionally distraught. That's how fragile this guy is. I start wondering, but I'm a little sad. (laughs) This happened. You don't think, you don't believe me, I can tell. But I'm like, why do I feel sad? And it was just cars. Can you imagine? I'm trying to normalize for you. How real life is on this little ball called earth. So many of us in this room, we're going to project tonight that we don't care, but we actually care the most. And you know what we want to feel like? And I don't think it's wrong. You just want to feel like you're doing good in life. You just want to feel like you're on a, you're you're keeping a good pace. You're on a good path. You're making a difference. And every once in a while, you want to know that you're passing a few people. You know, I don't even know what that means, passing if, you but you just want to feel like, you know, I'm kind of in the corner here and I'm, I'm kind of on my way, making a difference. And then what happens? Life, not your decisions, not your, you're not the reason, it's just life. I've quoted Mike Tyson and this one quote so many times, I quoted it yesterday. We were doing an interview with some friends and I said, Mike Tyson always said, and he meant this about his fighting. I love this statement. He's like, everyone's like, Mike, what are you going to do? You know, so-and-so is going to fight you. Are you worried? He's like, everybody's got a plan. These dudes can plan, but the plan's out the window when they get punched in the face. And I was like, yeah, Mike, tell them, right? How good is that? Man, do your little sparring. Now get in the ring. Bam! Plan's out the window. Sounds like life, right? Right? everybody's got big plans. And the truth is, some of us in this room, we came to this city, big plans. And all of a sudden, we got punched by life. I'm making weird guarantees, you know, but my other guarantee tonight is you'll get punched by life. It's gonna happen. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, that big old punch in the face wasn't in the plan. What do I do now? And all of a sudden, it's like, well, I think... Maybe all is lost, and I'll just go ahead and give up. Now, interesting, when going to Scripture and considering this journey of life, there's this little itty-bitty Scripture, we've talked about it before, and it's one of my favorite. Man makes big plans. In other words, the Bible says, my words. Man makes plans. God, the Lord, the word Lord is used in that verse, which Lord is like uh, God, the only God, and the God of it all. It's like what Lord means, Lord. The Lord directs people's steps. Now, here's where I'm going to start. And this is not not my main thesis. But if I can get you to think in steps tonight, by the time you leave, and not be obsessed with plans thwarted, prepared, destroyed, crushed, forgotten, or lost. But if I could just get you to think about the next step, maybe you'll take it and keep going. But I got news for you. Here's one thing I know about plans you make them and they get broken. I'm not saying you shouldn't make plans. The Bible never says you shouldn't make plans. I, nobody's against your plans. Tell me your 10 year plan. That's awesome. The likelihood of it happening is like zero, but I love it. Like exactly the way you planned it. Y'all know what I mean? The big things will probably happen. I'm with you, let's pray. Give me your whiteboard, give me your vision board, show it to me, give me a PowerPoint presentation. I'm all in on your plan. The likelihood of it actually happening the way in your PowerPoint is 0%. Isn't it funny? We, we all think that like COVID is like, it's wild, and it is, it's terrible, it's the worst They say one out of 500 citizens in this country are gone. It's the worst, but you know what? COVID like life, stuff happens that are completely out of your control. And when we make plans, it is impossible in our finite state to be able to predict the unusual, unprecedented circumstances that will dramatically affect our plans like being a preacher. And then all of a sudden, you can't get together and preach to anybody. And you're like, oh boy, right? Plans will change. So how will you, please hear me, take the next step? That's all I want you thinking about tonight. In fact, I want to give, I want you to give yourself permission to just think about the next step. What's your next step? What's your next step? What's your next step? What's your next step? step? Now, I'm a big visionary. Right? I got a passion for big vision, but I have learned the older I get that the only problem again with big vision is we paint this massive picture, and if we don't inform people of the relationship between plans and steps, disillusionment and discouragement almost always settles in over that person because they're like, it never works out for me. Can I tell you something? It never works out for anybody exactly the way they plan. So welcome to the team of, it never works out for me. I love that scripture. It says, God takes what the enemy means to ruin you and hurt you. And he can weave it together in his beautiful, majestic way. And he can bring good out of it. I wish wish life was just one straight road. You ever been to like Montana where there's no speed limit and you just gun it and you're like, I think I can fall asleep put my knee on the steering wheel, and three hours later, wake up in Bell. You know, like, it's just, mm, that's not life. Life is Mulholland. Do <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? I love Moholland because when you get a little straightaway on Mulholland, you're like, hee, hee, hee. You gotta slow way down, even if you're one of the fast drivers. You know, even when you get the cool, you get a lowered, cool, awesome Miata, you still got to slow it down to take the hairpin turns. Welcome to life. If you're like me, I mean, Mahalan can just make you sick. I'm so serious. I've literally come out of Mahalan going, all right, I got to take a break here. I got to get out of the car and breathe some fresh air. Well, some air, you know, and... You know what I mean? Like, this is a lot, and so some of you are like, "I'm I'm a little sick." You know why you're sick? You know what the Bible says? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Do you know what deferred hope is? It's plans that don't work out, basically. Someone, you know, like I said, asked me, "What are you most excited about?" And what they're telling me is, "What do you got your hopes in?" Well, tonight at the savant, it's going to be amazing. What if it's not? Well, you get a little sick. You get a little disappointed. You just get like, that's hard. And then that happens again. And if it happens again, and if it happens one more time, I am done. Am I the only person that has actually said that in my home multiple times? One more time! I can't, Chelsea, I can't take it one more time. And not not that Chelsea's, but like I'm talking about, I'm never mad at Chelsea. (laughs) Usually. So but you've been there lately? You've been like. I can't, I can't take one more, if one more person, and here comes that hairpin, turn again, and you're like, I just feel nauseous about life. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? What's your plan? I've heard so many interesting approaches to this. Some people are like, discipline. I'm gonna discipline myself. That's awesome. Some are like, I need to work out. I need to run. The running thing, it's not my thing but a lot of people are into it, like Wessie and Justin Mel and friends. David, you're really into running. Uh, You know, I thought, run or not run? Not run sounds great to me. Am I right? You know, run, not run. Not run. Run, not run, stay home, watch ESPN. Not run, ESPN. You know what I mean? Like, the choice is clear to me, but what's your plan to keep going? What I'd like to introduce you to is a supernatural plan. Something more than nutrition and working out, both are very important, and thank God for L.A. We are the beacon of nutrition and working out for the world, okay? Congratulations to you all. You have set the global standard. Everyone go buy yourself a blue ribbon. We love you, okay? L.A., we get it, all right? Everyone's on chia seed. Everyone's, like, gluten-free, sugar-free. We get it, all right? So I'm not here. I'm not a nutritionist. My job is—I'm clearly—I look like a trainer. I'm not one. Um, Shut up. And, but I want to introduce you to three supernatural elements that I know, if received, if received, will help you take the next step in your life. Here's the first one. How are you going to keep going? In fact. Before I give that to you, let me read this scripture to you from Philippians chapter three. Check this out. You're gonna, I think you're going to love this verse. I'm not saying I have this all together, that I have it made. It's not what I'm saying, but I'm, well, I'm well on my way. Reaching out for Jesus. Listen to this. Who has so wondrously reached out for me? By the way, do you, do, do you know why we're here Reaching for Jesus, because he already reached us. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like you're being hugged, and eventually it's like, when are you going to hug back? You're like the awkward person who doesn't do hugs, but you didn't know, so you go in for the big old bear hug, and they're like stiff as a board, and you're like, oh, that was weird. Some of you, that's you in the arms of your Heavenly Father. You know, and he's like, "I love you," and you're like, "Who are you?" You know. So, <laughs> I was so looking forward to this night. Like, I got, I got a lot of material. Okay, <clears throat> but I'm well on my way. Reaching out for Jesus, who's wonderfully reached out for me. Friends, listen to this. Oh, I love this. Don't get me wrong. I, uh, I'm not. In, I think he says he goes on. I, 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 by no means am I saying I'm an expert. Can I just say something about church home? Nobody in this church gets to be an expert. I did not come tonight to be your spiritual expert. If you ever hear somebody's an expert on God, run screaming the other direction. (laughs) That's like saying you're an expert on the ocean. Good luck. And by the way, the ocean was something this mysterious great grand God made with a sentence. So you want to talk about the depths, the width, the height, and the length of who he is? My brothers and sisters, I know so little about God, and I am no expert, but I am so willing to sit in this room for the next four hours and really dig into what we do now. All right, all right. We get the joke, Judah, every week, buddy. Get some new material. Well, you get new material. All right. But I (laughs) like that one. Thanks, man. That means the world. I appreciate that. Um, I got my eye on the goal, the writer says. I love this. Where God is becking us onward. Do you see this? This isn't even the sermon. To Jesus. You read that and tell me what the goal is. This isn't my sermon. I'll do it next month. What's the goal? What's the goal? Jesus. Did you know that the goal of church home is Jesus? You know the goal of our church is Jesus to be like Jesus, to connect people to Jesus so people can know Jesus. Our goal is not just a cool gathering. Our goal is not to sell merch. Our goal is not to sell worship albums, all of which are great, and I'm sure we'll have some, maybe at the Connect booth. I don't know, right? Let's, yeah, it's awesome, I'm for, but, that, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't to fill auditoriums. That's not the goal, the goal isn't just to feel better about ourselves or get cool principles to apply in, the, in our steps to success. This isn't career building. Tonight's not about your career. It's about your eternal soul. And the goal is that you know God the man. Not God the idea, but God the man and he has a name. His name is Jesus. So our goal is to know him. Right, like you understand something, I am persuaded that the death, burial, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who was born in a barn in Bethlehem and lived approximately 33 years I believe that man lived. He was God, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and he knew your name before you were even thousands of years before you were ever born, and he became your judgment. He became your sin and my sin, and he hung on a cross between two thieves, beaten beyond recognition, and he said six different things while he hung on the cross for six hours, and one of them was, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He went to that cross for your forgiveness and mine. I am persuaded that man is real. He's so real, he's still alive, and he beat the grave. And he's alive forevermore. Now, that shapes my whole existence. Nothing can compare to the supremacy of that story. And so if you start to function from that being real, well, it frames everything, doesn't it? Accomplishment, career, things we hang our proverbial hat on in this culture every hour. Well, what do you do? What's your name? What do you do? Wow, that's, fat. you make good money? Wow, right? Nothing wrong with that inherently. But our goal is Jesus because he, God is among us, he's here. And so like, I don't know what's more important than that. I don't know what's more important than that. So that's the goal. So he says this, I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. Isn't that the goal tonight? I don't want to turn back. I don't want to turn back. And I believe that within the beautiful narrative of scripture, we are given three supernatural keys, and here they are. Number one, you want to keep going? You want to keep stepping? You want to keep walking? You want to take the next step? You need to sit in his love for you. You need to sit in it. You ever, you ever done something so dumb that your parents or your coach or your teacher or your, I don't know, your your study hall monitor like, <laughs> Study hall monitor. I don't know why these things, your study hall monitor said, hey, that's on you and what you need to do. Why don't you just sit there and think about what you've done? Why don't you just sit there? You know what you need to do? You need to, you need to sit down, young man. You know what, young lady? You need to sit down and think about what you've done. Can I flip that on its head? Because that's good preaching. You know what you need to do? That's the wrong tone. You know what you need to do? (laughs) You need to sit down and think about what he's done for you. I mean, you just need to sit there. In fact, the only requirement is that you do nothing. In fact, one would argue that this might be one of the most significant, important practices a human being can ever do. Look at this. This is a story between Mary and Martha. You know this story. It's one of my favorites. If you don't know this story, let me tell it to you. Luke chapter 10. Mary and Martha are sisters. They have a little brother named Lazarus. He goes through an amazing thing. He's resurrected from the dead. That's a wild story. Mary and Martha are the closest non-family members to Jesus, and he will spend many days with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's very close. He's their family a family that he's very close with. So he goes over to their house and Martha, the older sister, she's in the kitchen preparing a meal for Jesus, which only seems logical and makes sense. Mary, the younger sister, this is such a perfect birth order. It's too easy to preach, okay? The older sister is actually doing the noble thing. She's actually taking care of food and preparations. And the younger sibling, I'm the baby. I talked to my older sister yesterday in from the bathtub. She goes, oh my God, Judah, there it is, there it is. We say it all the time, we're the West Coast people. She goes, oh my God, are you in the bath? I go, I'm completely naked, I love you so much. <laughs> I, I, my, I love my sister, it's the weirdest, right? I go, I'm completely naked, I love you so much. She goes, do you realize how weird we are? I go, very, very weird, but we're still here. You know, so, but I love my sister, but it being the youngest is always like, it's like Mary. Mary is crisscross applesauce in front of Jesus. And she's like, we're so happy you're here. I love your hair. Did you trim your beard? I love you. Martha, come on. And Jesus is just talking. And Martha comes in and she's like, is this for real? Jesus, this is my, one of my favorite parts. She says this. This is so um, passive aggressive. She says, Mary's right here. She goes, Jesus, will you please tell her? to help me. Come on, any families in here who don't talk directly to the family member, but the other family member who's in the room to talk to the other family member they're talking to? Oh, it's called dysfunction, weird. All right, so, mom, would you tell? You know, It's like, he's right there. How about you just make contact, you know? So she's like, tell Mary now. Jesus goes, I won't. And you're like, whoa, this is not going the way we prepared this story, excuse me? Isn't this where Jesus goes, you know, honestly, Mary, it's a little rude that you just sit here and do nothing when Martha does all the work. You're such a, a baby of the family. How about you grow up, Mary? And that's when Mary goes, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, please forgive me. And, you know, the, the proverbial, the version of Jesus that we preach in this country, which is like the science teacher or the football coach. That's who we've made Jesus. You get out what you put in, said the Lord. No, he didn't. All right, so anyways. <laughs> you put in the work, you can do anything, said Jesus. Nope. Okay. So he says, I won't. And here he looks at Martha and he goes, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about so many things. Now watch this. One thing is necessary. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm about to tell you the one thing that's necessary in your whole life. Are you ready? Right here? Yeah. Uh, Mary is doing it right now. And I won't take it from her. Now, come on, let's do, a little, let's do some good Bible study for a second. What is Mary like doing? <laughs> what was that, Jesus? You're doing the one thing that's the most important thing. And so I'm not going to tell you to go get the charcuterie board at all. What is she doing? I would argue, particularly as an American, bear with me, she's not doing anything. Now I'll tell you something right now, this is not how you get a good job in this country. I'll tell you something right now, you sit here long enough and your life will amount to nothing. Like I've suddenly turned into a gunslinger? (laughs) Let me tell you, this is the United States of America. We do not sit around and do nothing. Jesus is like, actually, this is, uh, this is my priority. Like, Jesus, if you could... I'm sure we're not picking up what you're putting down. Would you mind clarifying when you say like, this is your priority? Do, do you mean um, like going to Bible school and getting trained and teaching and getting good grades? No, that's not what I was saying. But that's what you're insinuating? No, I, I want you to let me love you. So let's do it again, you ready? It's one of my favorite analogies. Here's God. He's like the big, awesome, heavenly father. He's like, get over here. I'm so happy to see you. And we're all like, yeah, I'm good. All right, man. All right. good? He's like, what? Get over here. He's like my, we're like my puppy. You know, my little puppy right now. He like runs over and then I'm like, hey, buddy. And he goes running around because he wants me to chase him. And we're all like, dude, I just, I just don't feel God. Well, let him love you. You are so busy doing stuff for God. You're so adorable, aren't you? (laughs) I want you to imagine the smallest little insect who suddenly gets a voice and speaks your language. And he crawls up on your leg and he says, hello. I don't know where this is coming from, but I like it. (laughs) I'd like to help you. And you're like, oh, little ant, you're adorable. What anthill are you from? (laughs) I'm in your backyard. (laughs) How can I help you? Oh, buddy, you quite literally cannot. (laughs) There's actually nothing you can do for me but get off my pants. Aren't we so adorable? I'm here, God. I'm here. And what we expect is the throne room of the eternal. That God sits on his throne and he stands. Angels! Did you know that John is joining our team? Now this is what I've been waiting for. Now we will change the world. What a gross misappropriation of who we are. (laughs) We make so much of, you're like, Judah, I I don't feel better about myself. I feel like an ant. (laughs) In a sneaky little way, I'm trying to take pressure off of you that's self-imposed, not God-imposed. Some of you think this is an information contest. And some of us are tired of your information contest. Some of you think because you memorize Bible scriptures, that you're the one who's better than other Christians. This is not a Bible memorization contest. The goal is Jesus, not knowledge, not morals. Knowledge is good, morals are good. No one's saying they're bad, but when did they become the goal? God, I am reporting for your team. I choose you, wow, and it should be noted I am a virgin. How do you like them apples? And God's like, what? You're a virgin? We can use them. Put them in the game. We only use virgins. What are we doing, guys? Is anyone tired of what we're making of this? What is this? Yeah, I'm on the worship team now. Oh, that's cool. Well, it's more than cool. (laughs) Probably going to be on the album. (laughs) Oh, that's cool, too, I guess. Yeah, pretty good royalties, I heard. All right, right, bro, I thought the goal was... Jesus. Come on now. Are Are we drunk on our own customs and traditions? Martha's... Doing what most Christians do, working for God. In fact, we have created whole doctrines and dogmas where we shame Christians who we don't think are doing enough. You're not doing enough. Like you thought this was all about what we do, Jesus says otherwise. Well, he says, what she's doing is what you should be doing. And I'm going, she's not doing anything. And he's like, there you go. You know why? Because right here in front of Jesus, it's hard to think you did it yourself. And here's the kind of Christians you wanna hang out with. For those of you considering Christianity, I am not mad at your careful hesitation. It makes a lot of sense. Like, I got smart friends who are like, hey, man, you ever heard of the Crusaders, the Christian Crusaders? Yeah, not really into the Christian thing. I've done my research. And I'm always like, good point. Good point. A lot of his representatives have misrepresented him. Because instead of doing this, we are out doing this. I'm a virgin. Like, like I'm not. Chelsea and I have sex almost every day. All right, so, like, <laughs> like, doing that, you know, bro, you're married. We know. You don't have to tell us your favorite positions. All right. <laughs> but it's so funny because there's a scripture that says, "Labor to enter into the rest." I think it's harder to sit in his love than it is to go work for him. That's my current perspective. It's just totally my opinion. I think it's harder to sit here and just be like, he loves me. And everyone around you is like, are you sure? (laughs) Because you're kind of a nightmare. you're like, yeah. Yeah, the nightmare part, he even loves, he just loves me. Wait, what? Yeah, Martha, you've totally you're imposing your cultural standards on the moment. Those aren't my standards. I think you should sit in the living room and just listen to me. And what do you think Jesus was talking about? His accomplishments? He could. I know what he was talking about. His love. I can't wait for the day when I see his eyes. I dream about it. But I mean, my dream is daydream, you know? I wish I could control my night dreams, but you know, I can control the daydreams, and I just think about the book of Revelation says his eyes are like fire. And that fire is not judgment, it's love. I just wonder if Mary was just like, I've never seen anybody with blonde hair and blue eyes in the Middle East. This guy's amazing. Are you from Sweden? <laughs> I got like a hashtag that goes with that and everything. Anyways, all right, moving on. I'm going to start offending people. Number one, sit in his love. Well, Judah, how do I do that? Uh, Sit down, get quiet, and then let your mind just wander to how much he loves you. If you don't know what to think about, consider the demonstration of his love. Consider it. Here's, what, here's something you can think about. If you want to sit in his love, think about the two guys that hung next to him for those excruciating six hours where many people believe he was so unrecognizable you couldn't tell if it was a human or an animal. And one of the thieves on his side said, remember me? Then he says, you're going to be with me today in paradise. What kind of God is this? Come on, church home. What kind of God is this? I just want to say, I I so respect your career. I met new friends at just, freshmen at USC, my new friends, my new Trojan friends. Like, you know, I'm so proud of them going to college, getting ready for all that God has ahead of them. It's going to be amazing, but don't miss the goal. The goal is right in front of us. He's nearer than our next breath. And he is the deepest satisfier of your soul sit in his love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think good theology is theology that makes much more of Jesus than us. I am very concerned at the content that we are consuming in the Christian church because I think most of it makes more of us than him. And what I mean by that is we leave auditoriums like this thinking more about ourselves than him. I am telling you, my brothers and sisters, it's because we're in the kitchen and Jesus is in the living room. Let's sit at his feet. The problem with sitting at his feet is it's a leveler, isn't it? If we all sit, we all sit but if some of us can stand in the kitchen then we can begin to build levels that jesus never built so now i'm further along you're still you're still crisscross applesauce what are you in kindergarten i'm in the kitchen changing the world as if you can even change yourself let alone the world i tell you where you can find me Crisscross cross You don't get to do anything for him here. You just get to listen and receive. I am very concerned because we have misappropriated in all of our attempts to help people. We have forgotten to tell people that the initial posture of Christianity is seated and receiving. You hear me? The posture of Christianity is not this first but that's what we tell people. You want to know Jesus? You want to know Jesus? (laughs) Nope, that's not the initial posture. The initial posture is like, "I I hope so. He wants to know you too, he's here. Sit in his love. We could talk a lot more about that, and I won't take as nearly as much time for all the points, but two more and I'm done. Stand in your righteousness. I want you to start by sitting in his love. If you feel like giving up, pull the covers over your head and think about how much he loves you. And don't do anything. Just be there. Just be there. And then when you get the energy and the stamina and the strength, and I don't know why I'm getting emotional, I want you to stand. But you know, the Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, we got so many Christians standing ashamed. And we don't mean to do this, but we keep telling people that they can only stand with their shoulders square and their head up when they've earned it. And so that's why a lot of you came in here tonight. Maybe you didn't physically take this on, but you came in this auditorium like this. How you doing? And I appreciate your honesty. You know, you're like, I'm an idiot. You know how many times I've been in this theater and told God I'd never do it again? I did it again. Isn't it wild that somehow in our makeup when a child does wrong, You know what? When my puppy does wrong, we shame. Shame. We have a saying in our culture. Have you noticed? Shame on you. I don't use that. That's against my theology. I don't believe shame motivates anyone long-term ever. It produces short term temporary results that only please others and destroy the person that was shamed. I don't practice it, I don't believe in it, and there's no place for shame in this church. You hear me? Shame does not work. My concern, thank you. We have some very noble and important endeavors in this country, but if we're not careful, we will play the same shame game as the culture, and I promise you it won't work because it was used before you were born. You think by shaming people we're gonna change this country or any country? I can show you, we can look at history. It won't work. Jesus has given us a gift and it's called righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's probably my new life verse, 2 Timothy 2.1 and 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he took your place. He took your sin, your judgment, your error, your wrong, your selfishness, and what he granted you, what he gifted you, not by your performance, not by your effort, not by your work in the kitchen, not by anything you did. He gave you his righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God, which means you are in total connection and communication with God. I want you to imagine the relief that you can experience. You ever been at odds with one of your closest friends and then you finally resolve it? Do you know that relief you feel? Do you remember that? Some of you are like, yeah, that's every day in COVID, exactly. You know, we're like, hey, man, I, I, I know I haven't called a couple of days and I'm really sorry what I said the other night. And, you know, I'm an idiot. And man, oh, it's my fault. Are right, we forgive me? I forgive you, I love you. And you know, right after that, do you know that just like that euphoric? Like some of you are like, no, I don't. I'm like, oh, you need to forgive more. You know, like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but like, it's relief. I want you to feel that right now. You think you're at odds with God. Jesus solved that. You're not at odds with God. Did you know that? You're not at odds with God. In fact, your lying emotions are telling you you're, you're not at odds with God. If you have received the free gift of Jesus, you're not at odds with God. God has nothing but approval and acceptance and love for you. Now stand, please hear me, stand in your righteousness. I'm gonna use an example I've used so many times on this stage, but I want you to imagine if I walked out here tonight like this, Hey guys, um, well, look, uh, it's been kind of a rough week. Um, Now, some of you are so kind. You'd be like, Judah, we love you. You know, you're the best, right? And I'd be like, all right, I love you too. But you'd be like, "Uh." but wait a minute. You expect me to walk on this stage confident, convicted, passionate, and prepared. But you and me, we're the same. So why do you expect me to walk out? (laughs) All right, you guys, you good? I can see Ah, you, Like I'm Jimmy Fallon, relax. But, you know, (laughs) like, oh, yeah, 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 Judah, yeah. He's going to be. What? I'm just like you. I'm the only one expected to stand in my righteousness? I want to urge you, stand in your righteousness. There is only one way I get to walk out of here with confidence, and that is the gifted righteousness that Jesus gave me through his performance and not mine, so that every time I have a confidence when I'm with you or any other setting, my presentation, the Bible says, I don't want you to move your confidence away. It's gonna yield great rewards. My confidence is not from mastering my craft or being an expert, it's the fact that I walk on this stage and realize that my qualifications, my background and resume is simply the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it frees me to use my gift with confidence. So here's my message to you. You want to keep walking? You want to take the next step? Square your shoulders. Lift your head. Know who you are. Know who God made you to be. Recognize the gifts and the abilities that he's given you. Recognize he doesn't hold your sins against you or your past against you or your proclivities or your temptations or your addictions. He doesn't hold those things against you. He's already prepared through his performance complete covering for those things. I'm not saying we make light of sin, but the only way we overcome sin and not let sin dominate our life and ruin our home life is by standing in our righteousness and telling our sin, I'm not what I do. I am what Jesus has done. That's who I am. Accepted, loved, celebrated, pleasing, approved, called, anointed. I can't be the only one in this room expected to stand in his righteousness. I want you to stand in your righteousness. I'm so serious. On your Zoom call tomorrow, I almost said when you go to work tomorrow, but on your Zoom call tomorrow, some of you will go to work. I'm not joking. I want you to square your shoulders. I want you to square your shoulders. I want you to inform your soul through your posture. I'm a woman of God. I'm a man of God. Square my shoulders up my man. How are you? It's good to see you. I appreciate you. Love you. Now, I'm not saying you have to have my personality. Some of you are like, oh, I don't want it. It's okay. You know, but <laughs> all right. You ever, you ever like kind of been self-deprecating then all your friends agree and you're like, uh, all right, I ain't that backfired. You know, like, I know I talk too much. Well, that's for sure. I'm like, all right, someone disagree with me. It's kind of why I put it out there, but stand and you're right. There's so much more we can say. I'm and I'm done. And and team, you can come on out if you want to. You can come on out. They're talking back there, they can't hear me, but that's I don't blame them. Okay. When you when you guys, Amanda, yeah, you tell them they can come on out when they want. No pressure. All right. But um the last one is, you know, we gotta sit in his love, we gotta stand in our righteousness, and then we gotta let go. We gotta let go. We gotta let go. You'll notice that. Point number one and point number three are both like um, things you do that your ego won't be proud of. Like when you just sit there and listen to his love, your ego doesn't go, we're amazing. And then when you let go, so let go. Let me read this um, read this scripture to you one more time. Can I read the Philippians three scripture guys one more time? Um, I'm not saying I have this all together, but I made it there, but I'm well on my way reaching out for Jesus. who's So, one if you reached out for me. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert, but, but God's beckoning me, beckoning me onward. So, I'm off. And I'm not turning back. He, um, that not turning back, one translation says, i forgetting those things that are behind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on what's next with God. First thing you got to let go of, your past. God already has, you know. You know, there's a Psalm that says God has separated your sins as far as the East is from the West. How far is that mathematically? Uh, I don't know if that's even possible to gauge exactly. It's just a long way away from you. By the way, all those sins is kind of your past, right? It's kind of insinuating everything you remember that you've done, it's so gone. You know what you got to let go of? past. I know this sounds silly, but um, Wessie and I, I don't know where Wessie is. Wessie uh, came over to the house last night and we were, (laughs) I still can't find him. He's all the way over. So Wessie came over. and We were talking last night and I woke up this morning and we were talking about some things and some hurts that I've experienced. And and it's funny, Chelsea and I didn't know this. This is God. This is how God works. And Chelsea goes, hey, I want to say something. And babe, tell me if this isn't true. Before Chelsea even said it, I said, we have to stop talking about what happened. It's over. And Chelsea goes, that's wild. That's what I feel this morning. Last night was like the last night. God was like, okay, process a little bit with your friend, fellow staff, but you're done now. You hear me? And I wonder tonight if the message from God to you is, let it go. You hear me? Let it go. Let it go. And and the teaching of forgiveness, do you know part of it is let them go. That's what forgiveness is. Let them go. So it's the past you got to let go of. It's controlling and manipulating your future that you got to let go of. This town is so convinced that if you controlled enough, you can build the career you've always dreamed of. God forbid you can on your own power. Because if you build your career on your own power, your own power will have to keep you there. Good luck. And I pray that God is with you. But if you build your own career through manipulation and control and power, hungry, you will have to manipulate and control to stay there. But if you let go and you say, God, more than anything, I'm going to worship. More than anything, I'm going to love people. More than anything, I'm going to stand in my right. I'm going to trust you. I'm not saying you don't show up for the the opportunity or the job interview. I'm not saying, but you leave the results up to the only one that controls them. God. So I say you open up your restaurant, but if nobody buys your food, you shut it down and move on to the next thing. And you trust God. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna trust God with the past. We're gonna trust God with the future, we're gonna let go and trust God with our offenses. And I'm done, I'm done. The whole band's here. Look, everybody's here. Amanda Cook is here, ladies and gentlemen. One of my favorite humans in the whole world. Lives downtown LA like I give out your address. Relax, okay. I love you so much, Amanda. Before Amanda sings and we physically feel Jesus, hopefully you already do. Here, I wanna make a statement and I'll be careful because I don't wanna overstate it, but, but please hear me. I think, and Amanda, I think you'd agree with me. I think forgiveness might be the single most important characteristic in this age and era. I got a sense that the people that will keep going are the people that let go of offenses. Do you know the Bible? You won't believe this. Do you know when the New Testament, the Bible promises that you will be offended? Did you know that? I'm like, I thought the Bible was encouraging. It says offenses will come. Thanks, God. They will. <sighs> what? You just hear me. <sighs> and then you go home and you sit down and you're like. <sighs> Am I the only one? You ever been offended by your own imagination? <laughs> Do you know what I mean by that? It's a conversation. You're not even sure that happened, but you, you imagine it probably did. And then you're offended at the person. And you don't even know if that happened. Am I the only one? You're like, I bet right now, Graham Bunn. I bet he's doing this right now. I bet he's in, in and you know, well, and I'm offended. You know, and it's like that didn't even happen. We gotta let go. And I'm done, Amanda. I'm so done. <laughs> Somebody asked me recently, "How do you forgive? How do I forgive?" Yeah, that's gotta be hard, but it's hard. How do you do it? <sighs> I don't mean to be that guy, but I'm gonna tell you exactly what I told him. I said, see, I'm gonna have to tell you a quick story. All right, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? Okay, so um, the Bible Thousands of times in the Hebrew Bible, said there would come a Messiah and he would pay the ultimate price for the offense of humanity. He would become the offender, he would take on the offenses, all the sins, all the rude, crude, evil, wicked, maniacal, offensive, racist, and he would take it on his body. Um, they said there's this point of the cross where the guys that would be crucified, um, they would make them carry the cross. And um, Jesus was carrying his cross. Thousands of people died by crucifixion, but only one came back from the grave after being crucified. So it's not the crucifixion necessarily that makes him above and beyond everyone else. But while he was being crucified, he gave us strong indications of who he was and what he was doing. And he fell to the ground while trying to carry his cross and an out-of-towner ended up being compelled to help him. But women were there and they were crying as Jesus was falling under the weight of his cross. And he said, oh, women, don't cry for me. The ruler of the area of Rome that Jesus was in, his name was Herod. And he said to Jesus, tell me who you are. They want me to crucify you. And, and Jesus was silent and Herod said, don't you want to answer me? I have the power to crucify you. And Jesus stood there and he said, you have no power unless that which is given to you. He says, do you not think I could call down 10,000 legions of angels that would come to my aid? Don't you record this as a murder or a tragedy? No one takes my life. I lay it down. No one took his life. He gave it. Willingly. And then as we hung him there with our selfishness and our sin, he hung there and said, God, I don't want you to hold this against them. It's not what I want for my children, for my kids. They don't know what they're doing. And then he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which is to say, my God, my God, why have you broken off communication? Why have you forsaken me? And the answer for all eternity through the hallways and annuals of time was Jesus was forsaken so you could be accepted and loved. Jesus was damned and judged so you could be deemed righteous and forgiven. No longer considered an offender but now a welcome citizen of the kingdom of God. How, you ask, how do I offend those who hurt me? How do I let go of those who speak ill of me and come against me? Oh, I... I don't think you understand. It's nothing I learned at a leadership session or a TED Talk or even a conference or a convention. I met a man named Jesus, and he said, I won't hold your sins against you. And if you come to me, I forgive you, and I love you, in your mind, and I choose you, and I call you by name, and I got a plan for your life. I got steps for you to take. And when I looked into his eyes and I realized what he offered me, all of a sudden it set me into motion. I am by definition a forgiver. That's what I do because it's what I've received. So I just forgive. I'm not saying there's not forgiveness without boundaries. Some of you have to forgive someone who abused you. Can we talk about the depth of forgiveness we're discussing? How dare this preacher in a green suit tell me to forgive someone like that? say you had to be friends, but I said you've been invited to a free life of forgiveness. Let them go. And more importantly, let yourself go. Thing that happened to you, you hear me, your heavenly father was there. That thing that was done against you that was wrong and you did nothing to deserve that and it has stuck with you and it has hurt you and it has haunted you in the midnight hour. I am here to tell you there is power in this room available for you to let it go. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess around with you. You might have to let it go every day for the rest of your life but you can let it go. And what you need is a community of people. Instead of telling you what you need to do in the kitchen for God, somebody needs to tell you, you're forgiven and you can let it go, man. How many more coffees are we gonna have when we go over this again? I'm tired. If we're not gonna give up, I need somebody look at me in the face and say, let's pray right now. Oh God, we forgive that person. It's okay. We release them, and we release ourselves. I forgive you. And you know, I have forgiven people that haven't asked me for forgiveness, and I have forgiven people who don't want my forgiveness. And that's okay, too. But man, am I an emotional wreck. Amanda, I told you I was done like 15 minutes ago. I'm moving over here, you know. Amanda's going to start singing in seconds. But on my drive in here today, um, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I felt that this whole thing was going to land on forgiveness because there's people in here. You feel like giving up because it's so hard to let it go. And I just want to say, I can't imagine how hard it is. But if you let yourself sink in his love and stand in your righteousness, it just starts to make sense, doesn't it? I'm gonna go let it go. I'm gonna let it go. And I know this sounds silly, but for some of you, it means you just gotta stop talking about it, maybe to a counselor and a therapist, I highly recommend that. Chelsea and I have multiple counselors and therapists. Come to think of it, Chelsea is also like a therapist to me, okay, <laughs> and the love of my life. <laughs> but. I think we gotta stop talking about some of it. That's not who you are. Let me pray for you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, wonderful Jesus. Just when I think I know you, you totally blow me away. Just when I think I know how it all works, You amaze me and astound me at a level I can't even imagine. I just declare that church home is a space of forgiveness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Oh God. I'm praying for my friends in this room who've been so hurt. I pray forgiveness would well up in their soul in a supernatural way. Before Amanda and the team starts to sing, if you're here and um, you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that I'm up here crying about, that only Jesus offers, I want to pray for you. I want to remind you you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Just receive it. If you're willing to receive it, and accept that he is the God of the whole earth. And all he wants is to set you free, forgive you, and set a new life in motion for you. That will change everything. If you want that forgiveness on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. You know who you are. One, two, three, if that's you. All over the room, all over the room. So many hands going up. So many hands. I receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness that flows freely in this room. I-, I gotta be really careful because I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, and so I'm just gonna ask that nobody's opening their eyes, looking around, but if you're here and you know that this whole night is landed right here for you, you know you need to let it go. That offense, that hurt, that wrongdoing, that pain. You might think I'm too optimistic but I am persuaded on this very night, this average Wednesday evening in Beverly Hills, that this can be the beginning of an entire new chapter of your existence. If you're here and you know, you need to let that offense go. Shoot your hand up on the auditorium, say, that's me, that's me, I know, I know, I know. Oh God. I love these people so much. And we're sitting here as average people and we're just saying, we know we need to forgive. So now give us the energy and the strength to forgive those who have wronged us. For you, great God, have forgiven us who have sinned against you. Thank you. Thank you. Now we dedicate these moments to music and we dedicate these moments to the goal, which is you. Meet us now in these moments. Heal us, speak to us, comfort us, and surround us in Jesus' name.